I said a couple of weeks ago in these, uh, these closing months that I'm with you, I wanted to preach on a number of topics that I have uh, been excited about over the years, things I think are very crucial and important to the Christian, things that I found to be very vital in my life. And uh, I kicked that off with a message on deliverance. I do believe that uh, our bodies are designed to house the spirit, the human spirit, and then God's Holy Spirit, his divine spirit. But because they're housed to design, uh, designed to house spirit, then sometimes evil spirits find a way into our hearts and lives. And it's important that all of us seek deliverance and desire to be set free from those things that bind us and stop us entering into the freedom and liberty that God has for us. The subject I want to deal with today, and I've got my eye definitely on the clock because we will be through by 12 o'clock, so uh, watching that carefully. Another topic that's really excited me is, if I gave it a title, it would be called Financial Freedom. Yeah. Financial freedom does not come by having lots of money. I tell you that now, right from the start. The secret to you not having money is not that God gives you a load of the stuff. If you did, you would have more problems, possibly, or probably, by having more money than having less. I want to talk about how God sets you free from the worry, the anxiety, and the care of money itself or that of not having it. I haven't had money ever. You look into my bank account, it doesn't look very rosy, and it never has. But for over 30 years, I have been financially free. Never worried once, or was anxious once, because I knew that God would supply all of my needs. And that which he had called me to do, he would fund. And it's these things I want to talk about this morning. The major doctrine of the Christian church must be faith. Because faith pervades everything in the Christian life. And so this doctrine of faith, this teaching about faith, we must understand it. When we go to God in prayer, we must pray with faith. Without faith, our prayers are not pleasing or acceptable to God. And it's not our prayers that will bring rewards. It is only the gracious kindness of God. But I want, when I go to God in prayer, I go with faith. And that faith has something to do with the answer that I receive. I've listened to lots of Christians praying and I've listened to lots of my own prayers there are three primary areas in which people petition God in prayer. The first thing they petition God for, on their behalf or others, is healing. We don't like to be sick. We don't like to see our loved ones sick. 
And we're moved by compassion as Christians when we see the sick. The second area is that of the salvation of people's souls. We want our family saved. Husband, wife, children, relatives, our colleagues at work, people that we are friends with, neighbours with, we want them saved. And so if we're any sort of a decent Christian, we would pray for their salvation. We would pray that the the things that are blinding them will be removed, that the gospel of God, the light of the gospel would penetrate and they would be saved. The third area of prayer is that of God meeting our material and our financial needs. I'm told, and I probably believe it's so, that married people argue more about money or the lack of it than anything else. And that is instrumental in breaking up or part of the problem why there are so many divorces. The lack of money, the arguments over money, the expectations that aren't realised related to money. I want to share just five principles with you this morning. Principles that I discovered probably in the early and mid-80s. The faith message gets a real hammering. And definitely the prosperity message that flowed out of the faith message gets a bigger hammering than any other message. And I understand that. But I thank God for the faith message that I received in the early 80s. And I thank God for the teaching of prosperity that came out of it. Now, I never received and believed everything I heard. It had to be filtered through and understood. But there was a lot of good stuff that the evangelical church needed to listen to and take on board. Then I went to America uh, several times in the 80s and I received a teaching from a guy that was a hundred miles, a million miles from being described as a charismatic or one from the faith camp. And he was teaching on financial freedom. And since that time, I honestly believe, because of the teaching that I've received, I've been financially free. I've never worried myself for one minute in the area of money. We spoke about freedom this morning. We prayed that Christ would come and set us free. It's not magic. He doesn't do it by wandering, uh, waving a wand over you and somehow you become free. Freedom comes by hearing the truth. You shall know the truth. You shall receive the truth, believe the truth, act on the truth, and then the truth will set you free. Now you can hear truth, know it's truth, but not receive it and act on it and you'll never be free never you are born again because you heard the truth and acted on it if you did not act on the truth that you heard you would still be out there a million miles from God in the world 
Freedom comes by taking the truth and applying it in our lives and no other way. What's the first principle I want to share with you then? God is converting you from being a getter to a giver. When, when you came to Christ, you were in your sins. The most obvious thing about you, if I had ever spoken to you then, was that to some extent, to a lesser or greater, you were wrapped up in yourself. You were, you were preserving yourself. You were looking after yourself. You had to. There, was, there wasn't a God to look after you. So if you didn't look after you, no one else was going to look after you. So you were wrapped up in yourself. And being wrapped up in ourselves, it's about getting things. So we survive. So we make it. So, so we don't fall foul. We just get stuff. When you gave your life to Christ, the Holy Spirit sealed you. And from the first day that you were saved, he started to convert you from being a getter to a giver. Now, I'm not saying you were so terrible that you never gave anybody to anything before you were saved. I'm not saying that. Some of us have started in our Christian walk with a bigger advantage than other people. But we were all getters. And the power and the work of the Holy Spirit from day one is to change you from being a getter to a giver. And it's becoming a giver and not a getter that you receive freedom, financial freedom. Freedom that you don't have to keep getting, but freedom to give. I think it was Wesley, but if my quotation is wrong, please forgive me. I believe it was Wesley that said, when a soul comes to Christ, there are two conversions. First, his soul has to be converted from being a sinner to a saint. Then his wallet has to be converted from stuffing things into it to emptying it. There are two conversions. Some people definitely enjoy the first one, but they don't enjoy the second one. And Satan makes sure they don't receive the teaching or push forward into it because whatever teaching we receive and we push forward into, we experience and enjoy a great amount of this freedom that Christ died to give us. God is a giver by nature. Everything of the physical world that he created that we read about in Genesis He gave it to Adam and Eve. He didn't keep it for himself. He gave it all to them. The trees, the plants, the birds, the animals. He said, this is all yours. I don't need it. I want to bless you with the world, with the universe. This is all yours. That's why he didn't name the animals. Did you realize? See, if he named the animals, he might have called a lion a giraffe. (laughs) Or he might have called a giraffe a lion. We don't know. But he said, Adam, Eve, you name the animals. They're yours. You name them whatever you want to name them. And so they gave them the names of the animals. Why? Because they owned them. God had given them to them. 
then we see the world goes terribly wrong as sin comes in and Satan takes advantage of the man and man ends up yielding this world over to Satan in obeying him and to get us out of this terrible mess that we got ourselves into he gave Jesus Christ to us he didn't have anything else he gave his angels to minister unto us and he gave his son to save us he didn't lend his son to us he gave his son to us you see how generous God is he is a giver from beginning to end and so it's not surprising when the Spirit of God comes in and over us that there is a work of the Spirit to cause us to be givers and not getters. Are you as generous as Jesus? <laughs> Whoa! I'm not going to be as bold as that. Why not? Jesus said, follow me. Jesus gave an example. Jesus laid down his life. Jesus said to you, present your body as a living sacrifice. He's expecting you to do the same as what he did. Give everything. What do you detect, detect meanness in you? A meanness that is there because of worry or anxiety or a fear that God will not supply all that he says he will. I want to show you how the Spirit of God works in you and how you somewhat resist the Spirit when it comes to generosity. Do you sometimes feel the prompting of the Holy Spirit to give or to give more, but you can't? You want to give or you want to give more, but there is something inside of you that doesn't let you do it. You say, that's common sense. You can't give everything away. Uh, what's your statements now? Number two. Do you turn from people in need? And you see them all the time. And when you turn from them, do you feel a little bit bad? on the inside. Isn't that a wonderful feeling? Because at least you know the Holy Spirit's still working on you. If you walked away and you didn't care one iota, that would be bad. Very bad. So the work of God's Spirit is constantly working on us to cause us to be givers. When you give away do you believe that God will reimburse you for all that you've given? Or do you believe it's gone and you might not ever get it back again? Have you ever given so much that when you've gone home and shared it with somebody or thought about it, you thought how stupid you were? to have given so much. I hope you have, because that's a real good sign. 
that you've given beyond what you were ever capable of giving. I'm going to give you some homework, do you mind? I want you to go home and I want you to read 2 Corinthians chapters 8 and 9. The second book of Corinthians, 8 and 9. It is so simple to understand. You don't need anyone to teach you from that book. It is so simple. The hard bit is not understanding it. The hard bit is putting it into practice. I'm going to pinch three little verses out of chapter 9 just to show you the sort of stuff you'll be letting yourself in for if you do read it. Because, see, once you read it seriously, God holds you accountable to what you've read. So if you don't want to be held accountable, don't read it, I tell you now. If you do read it and you're serious about it, you'll be held accountable before God. This is what it says in 2 Corinthians 9 and verse 6. It starts off, remember this. What does that mean when it says remember this? It means you're apt to forget. Yes? So, maybe you've forgotten, but it says, Remember this, whoever sows sparingly will also reap sparingly, and whoever sows generously will also reap generously. Now, that is so so simple. You don't need me to explain what that means. If you give a little bit, you can only expect a little bit back. If you're generous and give more... You can expect more back. You thought it meant that, didn't you? You didn't think it meant anything else. I didn't think it meant anything else. It could only mean that. It is so simple. These verses in these two chapters are just brilliant. Let's jump to verse 11 now. And I'm not preaching out of context just because I jump around. You, You read it yourself. It says in verse 11, You will be made rich in every way. Did you hear that? God's plan is to make you rich in every way. It's not only financially, but rich in love, rich in all the blessings of God. That is the plan and purpose of God. You will be made rich in every way. For what reason? So that you can be generous on every occasion. Ah. Do you know why God would make you rich? that you might give it away. If you think that if you tithe, God will make you rich, I would say that you were wrong. But what I would say is if you're generous, God will give you more back so you can be more generous. That's what he's saying. You can be generous on one or two occasions, every occasion. That means every time that you see a need, a financial need, and the prompting of the Spirit of God is meet that need, do something about this, send some money here, support this person here, love this person there, invite this person there, God will supply all that you need to do that. You will be made rich in every way so that you can be generous on every occasion. And through this, what will happen? Your generosity will result in thanksgiving to God. If God makes you rich and you spend it on yourself, 
There is no thanksgiving to God. If God gives you money because you're generous and it comes back to you and you give it to meet the needs of others, these people start worshipping and praising God because they've had an answer to prayer that their needs have been met. In our giving to what God calls us to give for, God is glorified. And we want God to be glorified. Now there's one little verse that's just nestled between 6 and 11. I'm going to read this one to you. It says this in verse 8. And God is able to make all grace abound to you. To find out what this grace is. As you read through those two chapters, 2 Corinthians 8 and 9, this word grace, I understand it might be different in different translations, is repeated at least seven or eight times. The grace of God, the grace of God, the grace of giving, the grace of generosity. God is able to make all grace abound to you so that in all things at all times, having all you need, you will abound in every good work. It's almost the same thing. Every good work you want to do, every need that you want to meet, God says, listen, I can give you the grace to receive and to give. What is this grace that he's talking about? The grace specifically in these chapters is the grace to be able to give. I said to you at the start, once the Holy Spirit comes on you as a new convert, he does a work in you that changes you from a getter to a giver. We call this the grace of God. God's grace coming into your life to change you. We need the grace of God in every area of our life to change. Soon as we see we are deficient in an area, we simply ask God for the grace. Do you lose your temper quickly? Impatient with people? Frustrated with certain people? Certain people upset you? You say, God... Unless you pour your grace into my life, I am not going to change, but I want to change. I want to be patient. I want to be kind. I want to be all the things that come via you by your grace coming into me. To be as generous as Jesus, you will need the grace of God. How do I get this grace? Oh, it is so simple. In fact, the gospel is so simple. Having seen you have a need for grace, the grace of giving, the grace of being generous on every occasion, which he has already established there that he wants you to do, see your deficiency. Believe that God wants to fill you with his grace of generosity and simply ask him for it. Having asked, believe that you have received the grace of generosity and then act on it. See, I've discovered that when I pray and exercise faith for something, I don't necessarily get goosebumps. Nothing changes. 
But my faith has to be active on what I have asked God for and what I have believed I have received. So what I start to do is I start to be generous. Recognise you have a need for the grace of God. Ask God to give you his grace of generosity. Receive this generosity by faith, come feeling or no feeling, and in faith start to give in generosity. Start to give it out. And you will see that the grace of God, as far as generosity, will start to flow in your life. And it will start to grow and grow and grow. And you will become a giver, not a getter, just like Jesus. Principle number two. need to get your focus right in life. Our focus has to be right. It says in Matthew 6 and 33, I'm going to move quickly here, seek first the kingdom of God and his righteousness and all these things will be given to you as well. If you seek the kingdom, if you seek righteousness in the context of those verses, all the stuff that you need for life comes to you. If you're looking for the stuff of life, and you're not focused on the kingdom of God and righteousness, it just doesn't come. It doesn't come because Jesus said that's not how it works. Focus and it comes. It says in Hebrews, fix your eyes upon Jesus, the author and the finisher. Focus on Jesus for your faith to grow. Isaiah says, and I'll read it to you, you will keep in perfect peace whose mind is steadfast because he trusts in you. As you're looking to God and trusting in him, whatever comes, it doesn't have an effect because you're trusting in him. Where you set your focus determines the success of your Christian living. And in this particular thing regarding money, it says set your focus on the kingdom and the righteousness of God and all this stuff that you need, it comes to you. Imagine you heard about somebody on the mission field in India. And you really were moved by the Spirit to give them some money. A hundred pound a month. And you look at your bank account and you look at your expenses and you say, I can't do this. See, your focus has taken off the kingdom and onto your bank account. Mm -hmm. I tell you, whenever I look in my bank account, it constantly says, you can't do this. Now, if you've got a bank account where you can, you've got an added problem. Because you have to pray very carefully about where you stick this money. So, knowing that I can't do it, but feeling the prompting of the Spirit of God, my focus is on the kingdom, in agreement with my dear wife. <laughs> always, always, if not, it'll come back to bite you. We agree to give this hundred pound, even though we can't afford to do it. But do you know what I've discovered for over 30 years? It comes. It comes. Somehow God 
makes up the difference because my focus was on the kingdom constantly. You must put his word to the test to prove it for yourself. You are not testing God. You are putting yourself to the test to see if you would believe what God has said. The third principle, God is the source of everything material that you receive in your life. God is the source. It says in James 1 and 17, every good and perfect gift comes from where? From above, from God, from the Father of lights. Is money a good and perfect gift? Yes? You'd starve to death without it. You wouldn't pay your rent without it. So everything that comes to you, the source of it is from God. God is the source. That's why some uh, churches teach on stewardship. It's God's money. He has entrusted it to you. You spend it wisely. Everything that you receive that's good comes from God. Now, so that money does not come from your employer. If you're on a pension, it doesn't come from the government. It doesn't come from a pension fund. It doesn't come from that rich uncle or rich friend that you have. That's not where it comes from. All of those are channels that God uses to get the money he needs to get to you. That's it. If God is the source and you want to do a lot more good stuff, but you're not getting enough, God will add channels or widen the channels that he's already provided for you. So more money can flow into your life. And what do you do with this money? You go on wonderful holidays, beautiful cruises. You do all these wonderful things. No, you don't. You use this to extend the kingdom of God, fulfill the ministry that God has given you to do. That's why God would open the channels. That's why God would bless you. I go to Sri Lanka quite often, you know. Since I've been with you at Hope, I've gone 16 times to Sri Lanka. Yeah, I can't believe it's as many as that. Sometimes I've gone and I've needed at least £3,000 to conduct conferences in rural areas amongst pastors who I have to feed for five days, pay for their transport, pay for loads of other things, and my own expenses and everything. I haven't got that to do that. But God will supply what he needs for us to do. Any vision that God has given you for ministry, it's good if you haven't got the money to do it. Because it puts you in a place of dependence upon him and reaching out so that God can do it. Fourth principle, there's just two more, I'll be there, you'll be through by 12. The fourth principle is that what God orders, he pays for. There is no way on this planet that you nor I would engage a builder and expect him to provide the materials and do the work for nothing. None of you would expect that. If you commission him to do the job, he will do it 
on the basis that you pay for him. That's right, Angus, isn't it? Although you're a very generous uh, decorator, I must add. But you don't need the plug now, are you? You're sort of... Uh... <laughs> See, God will not commission you to do a work for him and not pay you to do it. That's not... That doesn't make sense. I love the story where he gets the disciples together and they were ministering to these people and there were 5,000 of them. And he says, oh, it's a bit late to send them home. He says, guys, can you feed them? And they immediately go, no. To feed them is eight months' wages and we haven't got a bean amongst us. So he says, well, show me what you have got. And of course, there's a little meal of a boy comes up. And then in partnership with them, with them, he feeds them. Jesus could not have fed the 5,000 without the 12. Could he? It would have been a stampede and people would have got killed. That to sit them down in groups and go and feed them. But they could not have fed the people unless God had provided the food for them. Do you know, nothing's changed. God says, church, we're in a partnership here. It's me and you. You do the money and I'll provide the rest. Uh, sorry, you do the work and I'll provide the money. That was a, they're not a Freudian, so they might have been the Holy Spirit sliver. <laughs> See, we can't do anything unless God does his part, and that's the way God planned it. But God won't do it without us. That's the way he planned it. You are involved in this process of the building of the kingdom of God. You do your small part, and God does all the big stuff. And the small part that you play, God even strengthens you and enables you and equips you to do that anyway. So in the end, he seems to do it all. We simply present ourselves as channels that God might use us, flow his resources through us, flow his ministries through us, so he accomplishes that which he wants to do. He told us to open a cafe. He told us not to charge the people. And God, God supplied everything for the cafe for years and years and years. And we've shut the operations down. And there's at least three, oh, sorry, £2,000 in the cafe account at its closure. God's not mean. He's not stingy. He knows exactly what he's doing. He simply wants our cooperation. We're off to Hastings. Not to retire. I can't think of anything more sad or miserable than retiring. I'm sorry. God's got a whole ministry for us. And you go, well, how much money have you got to do this ministry? We've got a state pension, me and Daff. That's what we got, a state pension. Does that limit us? No. If God could send us abroad every month and pay for it. He could give me an office there and ministry there. And God would pay for it. What God orders, he pays for. If he orders nothing, but simply says, fill and death, put your feet up, he doesn't have to pay for anything. But he wants, he wants to keep working with us, yeah. as he does with every one of you. The last one, the last principle. Would you please keep records? Write down in a book from this day forward how much God gives you and how much you give away. 
You say, well, what's the point of that? Well, God's doing it. Yes? He knows if you've given a cup of water. He knows everything that you've received and he knows everything that you've given. At the end of the year, I look and see how much I've received and how much I've given. And I get a true picture. I've seen times when I needed to do a whole lot more for God that cost me a whole lot more money. And lo and behold, I saw a lot more income coming in that year. And the next year when I didn't need to do so much, I didn't receive so much. If I, didn't, if I wasn't going to do so much, I didn't need so much. In the cafe, we were having an income by donations of something like 13,000, 14,000, 15,000 pound a year. It came to a year when we wanted to extend the cafe into two rooms and knock the central part down. We needed another 10,000 at least. The income for the cafe that year was nearly 30,000 pounds. We'd done the, the building works and so off. The next year, the income from the cafe dropped to what it was the previous year. Do you understand? Yes. That which God orders you to do, that which he commissions you to do, he pays for. You just have to move forward in faith, often without the resources, and believe that God has spoken and God will be faithful in what he's called you to do. We've got a building project. We're going to hear a little bit more about that and Dave can talk more about that. I just want to finish on this verse. In Malachi, it's talking about the tithe. I haven't spoken about the tithe all morning for a very definite reason. We, we are above the tithe. We're flying a lot higher than the tithe. Please believe me, we're New Covenant Christians. God asks us, that we would observe is generosity. He says, test me in this and see. Test me and see. I can be honest with you, in the last, well, all of my Christian life, and especially since I've seen it, God has provided every penny that I have ever needed to raise my children, to care for my wife, to fulfill every ministry calling he's ever given me, and I've been on at least 70 missions to 30 different nations of the world. He's enabled me to give thousands and thousands of pounds away on a pastor's salary. How is it possible? Because God supplies every penny that you need when you fix your eyes on the kingdom of God when you look to him to be the source he will supply all that you need we're pressing on with this building it might cost us £130,000 I am going to believe that when we've paid it on the, on the day that we need to pay it we haven't felt any uncomfortableness any any uh, like great, great sacrifice on our part. We've simply looked to God, and in the looking to God, God has supplied everything, and it's smooth. He did it before, when we needed the same sort of money then 
Nobody was harassed or impoverished. God simply took it through us. This is a tremendous opportunity to put God to the test, if you want to put it that way, or simply prove to yourself that the word of God is true. God bless you. Thank you, Phil. I find in the time that I've been with Phil, 